You're listening to The Real Wealth Show with Kathy Fetke, the real estate investor's resource. So often when I'm out and about, people ask me where I think the best place to buy rental property is today. So I thought on today's show, I'd bring on somebody who has access to real-time information from lots of investors on which areas seem to be cash flowing the best today and which areas seem to be appreciating the most. I'm Kathy Fetke, and welcome to The Real Wealth Show. Our guest today is none other than the Director of Investor Relations at Real Wealth Network, Ben Smith. You may have already heard his name before because you've either spoken with him or you've heard him on our weekly webinars. He's been an investor for many years, a couple of decades actually, and was a member of Real Wealth Network for many years until we hired him in 2014 as an investment counselor to help Real Wealth Network members get their questions answered and help them set up a plan. So Ben, welcome back to The Real Wealth Show. Well, thank you, Kathy. It's been a while. It has been. It's great to have you back, particularly because you have been speaking with so many investors lately. We've just had lots and lots of new members. (laughs) How many phone calls are you making a day now? Uh, Yeah, it's fun and exhilarating, and I love talking to all the different people, but by the end of the day, I'm kind of like, my brain is like rubberized. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think we've had between 500 and 1,000 new members every month, and uh, they have lots of questions. So I thought it would be really useful to basically bring you on The Real Wealth Show and talk about the kind of questions people are asking. So, you know, what are you seeing out there? What are investors wanting today? Is it any different than any other day? Well, it's not really different than any other day other than there's a you know growing awareness slowly over, over the last year or two that prices have gone up. Things aren't as cheap as they were in 2012 or even 2014. So I get the question a lot like, gee, have I missed the boat? Am I too late? And the answer to that is no. No, it's not as good as it was before, but it's still very, very attractive. The markets that Real Wealth Network focuses on are not at 12-year peaks you know, like in California and many other places, Seattle, Denver. So it's just a matter of tailoring what market do they like and what works for them. Well, it's, it's really a new kind of strategy, right? Because we're back to normal investing, whereas the last 10 years, it was ridiculously fantastic for buyers. I mean, not so great if you were one of the people losing your homes or your rental properties, but if you were able to buy property over the last 10 years, you probably had some pretty high cash flow and appreciation. But now we're entering into what appears to be a more normal market and one that it was kind of like this when I got started. I don't know about you. I know you started, what, 20 years ago? Is that right? Yeah, about, probably about the same time as you did. You know, we were just dabbling in real estate. And yeah, this is way more of a normal market. So part of the problem that we have is tempering somewhat unrealistic expectations based on what was the norm for the last 10 years that it really wasn't a norm. Um, (laughs) But, you know, know, almost by any measure, when you compare what you can get with some of these real estate deals and compare it to traditional stock market and other investments, especially when you factor in the leverage factor, there's really no comparison. It's just a matter of resetting people's expectations. Well, and I think that's it. I mean, I mentioned this before that I was on a Good Morning San Diego uh, about a couple months ago and was kind of talking about real estate and why it's still a great time to acquire. And then we had an event that night. So somebody who saw the show came to the event and kind of had his arms crossed in the front row. And as we were talking about, you know, deals across the country and where is the best place to invest today. 
And he finally raised his hand and said, you know, I'm just going to wait until the market crashes again and when I can buy properties here in San Diego for 25% of today's value. <laughs> I was like, oh, buddy, you're going to be waiting a while. That's not happening. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. Right. So your thoughts on that? Well, my thoughts on that is that, yeah, he's, I mean, he's going to be waiting a long time. And I always kind of like to say, you know, whenever you measure risk, you always have to measure the risk of opportunities lost. And he's going to lose all kinds of opportunities by sitting on the sidelines forever, waiting for something that may or may not ever materialize. And it's, you know, yes, you want to be prudent. No, you don't want to jump headfirst in the deep end of the pool when you're not really sure how good of a swimmer you are. You've got to be prudent about it, but don't just sit on the sidelines and be out of fear, do nothing. And, and now in that, that guy's case, it wasn't fear. It was just unrealistic. Oh, I'll just wait till the next crash. Well, that could be a long time. And there's plenty of other places he could invest and get a pretty decent return in the meantime. Yeah. So that's what I think. Yeah. I mean, I, I look at it like when I started learning about real estate investing, it was to create passive income and ideally have that passive income when I don't want to work anymore. Now, right now I love working and you know, a lot of people think, boy, I could buy a couple of properties and quit my job tomorrow. That That's not what we're talking mm-hmm. about here, right? Or unless no. unless mm-hmm. you have one property in California worth a million or two million, and you could sell that and exchange it, 1031 exchange it to areas that have higher cash flow, then maybe you can quit your job tomorrow and retire, right? Right. But, but for most people starting out, it's a process. and And for me, it was always that slow growth process of you know, buying property and letting your tenants pay it off over time so that when you're ready to retire, you own a bunch of properties free and clear. It's not a get rich quick thing at all. Right. And it absolutely isn't. Most of the people I talk to don't think it is, but they love hearing me repeat that. And I I talked to one gentleman, really nice guy yesterday. He had a property in Newport Beach worth about 1.5 million. He still owed a fair amount on it. And we just kind of quickly ran the numbers about, okay, you're renting it for how much a month and how much is your cost and how much is the HOA and this and that. And we just kind of quickly added it up. And when I just very conservatively told him what he could do with that money if he sold it tomorrow, because he had kind of a, a high maintenance tenant that wasn't, was always not happy about one thing or the other. And then I just explained, you could put it into 10 places in two locations. Now you're diversified amongst two different areas two different cities that aren't affected by one another economically, and you've got 10 different tenants. So one-tenth is vacant. If a house goes vacant, you've only got one-tenth instead of 100%. And you could just hear a light bulb kind of crackle to life over the phone. And he he emailed me today and said, thank you so much for clarifying. I'm not renewing the lease. I've got a plan now. And so just a lot of times when when you just help people just elucidate it, with you're not steering them, just giving them the options. And Sometimes it's just so painfully obvious which way one should go that it really helps people. <laughs> I mean, I look at that and think, okay, if you had one vacancy on that Newport Beach house, uh, that's 100% vacancy. If you had one vacancy yeah. on the 10 homes you bought elsewhere, you're not even going to feel it. You could be not fit, even feel it. You could be 50% vacant and be better off than you know the California property. Yeah, and the numbers of that, and it's all coming back to me now. It was like. Uh, 54,000 a year versus 126,000 a year, just, you know, current versus if I bought however many it was, 10. And it's just, it was in that case, and they're not always that clear. A lot of times it's it's a little bit grayer of a differentiation, but still it almost always makes sense to just get out, 
And then when I pointed out, and you're also in a, what, 14-year high market where, you know, we don't expect there to be some plummeting 2008 crash, but it'll probably correct at some point in the fairly near future, although nobody knows, and you're getting out of that market and going into a market that is not at 14-year highs. It's not at a high at all. It's plodding forward very conservatively. So it was really obvious to him. Yeah, and even if we don't see a correction, because there is limited inventory out there, right? Orange County has slowed down. And if you bought that property last year, you didn't make any money on it. So if you weren't getting great cash flow, you also aren't getting appreciation. So, you know, you, if you bought that property five years ago, well, you know, good on you because you made money. Right. That may not be where we're headed. And so you have to look at just the cash flow. And I can guarantee you're going to get better cash flow elsewhere if you're, if you're not getting the appreciation in California. Absolutely. So what do people like that, even if the light bulb goes on and they see that this makes sense, what are the obstacles that you see people face when, when they think about, oh, I have to sell this property and go buy 10 more? Well, yeah, it's psychological. But there is some, some real obstacles too. And like for his sake, I said, now remember, it's not all peaches, roses, and kittens. There is some downsides to this, although I think the downsides pale in comparison to the potential upsides. But yes, you now own 10 roofs instead <laughs> of one. You now own 10 kitchens. 10 water heaters. And over the next decade or so, you're going to have more times when you're going to have to repair those things because you own 10 times the number of what you did with your one Newport Beach place. However, run the numbers again and realize that you're easily banking the cost to cover those occasional repairs 10 times over. The other thing is, it's going to take a little bit of initial work. You're going to have to you know, contact the affiliates, work out what properties you like, Deal with your lender if you choose to do financing. I mean, there's a lot of upfront work that has to happen, but eventually it all settles down within a couple months or however long it takes, and then you're in much better shape. So psychologically, a confused mind says no, or people sometimes just, what's the old expression or whatever it is, uh, an object in motion remains in motion and one that's just sitting there on its butt remain sitting there on its butt. So sometimes people prefer to just not do anything. And if they can just get over that psychological hurdle and actually get out and take action, they'll be way better off in the long run. And I think that's the biggest obstacle. People just are afraid to take action sometimes. Yeah, no, absolutely. It is It is scary. That's why I often tell people just maybe buy one at first and get used to that. I know you can't do that on a 1031, but kind of get over that fear. Um, maybe just do it outside of the 1031 before you <laughs> sell the property mm-hmm. so you you can get comfortable. And, and getting comfortable often requires, I look at it this way, if somebody's fearful, it's because they just need more answers. So go get those answers, right. go on a tour, go there, walk the neighborhoods, meet the people, talk to the property managers, do what it takes to answer all your questions. So with that, because again, Ben, you talk to so many investors every day, I know it can be tiring. But they have a lot of questions and they have a lot of feedback. So what's some of the feedback you've heard as to you know, where they're wanting to invest? And for those who already have invested out of state, where are you hearing the greatest satisfaction among at least our members at Real Wealth Network? Well, the biggest distinction that I always like to point out to people is some of our markets are growth markets, mainly in Florida and Texas, and some of our markets are more linear markets, you know, Alabama, the upper Midwest, colder regions, 
And so I always like to point out that distinction because a lot of people have just a clear preference. They have to have appreciation and they're just uncomfortable with something that's only going up 3%. And other people don't care about that because they're just going to hold for the long term. So I always like to point that out and that kind of helps divide and conquer the universe of 14 markets that we have. But to answer your question, I think a lot of people, as long as the affiliate, the property provider that we connect them with has great communication, gets back to people promptly, we're having a lot of people happy with Detroit. We've had a lot of people really like the price points and the quality of the renovation and and things up there. They're really happy with that one. They really like Tampa a lot, although Tampa has appreciated more than some other markets, but they still cash flows quite nicely and is not at previous highs, still have a you know, 20, 25% to go before they get back to their 2006 levels. It just depends on where you fall as an investor on the spectrum. What are you looking for? And it's tough sometimes to kind of dial people in, in terms of what, what are they really looking for? And a lot of times people are considering things that really don't matter. Like, I've got an Uncle Joe that lives there. It's like, well, that's great, but it really shouldn't factor too much into your investment decisions because Uncle Joe isn't really going to have much to do with the property, right? You're going to have the property manager manage the place. So it's it's really a matter of just kind of dialing it down to what people really want to do and what they're thinking of and, and kind of disavow them of some notions that maybe really shouldn't matter that much. Now, where are you currently invested? When I moved to the East Coast, I kind of slowly got out of all my West Coast stuff, like Arizona. I had some things there. So now everything is either in Florida, Ohio, or Pennsylvania. And I have one house in Pittsburgh, and then I have three houses in Cincinnati. And then I've been doing a lot of Florida stuff, like a Jacksonville place and a couple Tampa places. And and the next thing that I'm going to do is I'm I'm a complete hypocrite, right? I tell people to try to limit it to two or three markets. You don't want to be scattered all over half the country. And I, <laughs> I try not to do that, but it's really hard working you know, for Real Wealth Network and seeing all these great deals and, <laughs> and just seeing the new things. I'm really intrigued with Texas right now, and I, and I want to buy, I'm going to be buying a, a little duplex in Texas, and I'm just going to test the theory because that market, and they're coming out pretty soon, They're unique in that most of our affiliates like to buy and hold. That's their thing, buy and hold. And our North Texas uh, Dallas affiliate is much more into, no, you can do that if you want, but hold for about five years before the property taxes start exponentially going up. And then you 1031 out of that into two other places. You know, she hopscotches back farther out, a little bit farther away from the nucleus of the Metroplex and to the next area that's going to appreciate. And she's got a great track record of having done that. So I'm testing that theory. So I'm, I'm adding another state to the repertoire. <laughs> awesome. I love that all of our investment counselors buy property through our network and uh, walk the talk. You know, you guys aren't running out and finding some agent and doing the repairs yourself. You know, you're using our network. And I, I just love that. It speaks speaks a lot. Yeah. Obviously, it establishes credibility and then people just feel a lot more comfortable that we're not just some mouthpiece saying what we're supposed to say off some script. You know, we're, we're, all of us have properties in, in multiple states and really seem to be doing fairly well. I mean, yeah, we ha- occasionally have one that doesn't work out so well, but that's just the way it always is. Usually they work out and, and it's nice to be diversified. Well, I'm really glad you brought that up because 
you've seen, we've both seen people who maybe just shouldn't own property, or at least they should maybe invest in a fund and not manage their own portfolio. What do you think it takes to be a real estate investor or landlord owning properties out of state? What kind of person do you have to be so you're not resisting the whole process, you know? <laughs> you, 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 it's okay to be type A, but you can't be too type A. You know, some people that I'm talking to, you can just tell that they're just nervous Nelly types and they just don't have the, I don't know if it's aptitude or they just don't have the, um, the temperament for it. And I, I try to really make it clear. It's like, yes, we tend to emphasize because it's true. You know, I find myself using the line, you know, I've got 12 properties and I spend about, you know, maybe four to five minutes on each property every month reviewing the monthly statement. But then I'm real quick to add, but occasionally a tree will fall on your roof and you'll have to deal with the insurance or you'll have an eviction. I mean, I don't want to ever paint the picture that, that it's just so trouble free because it's not. It's not like a mutual fund. You are owning a house. There are plumbing issues, roof issues, tenant issues, but those hopefully don't come up very often. And the fact that they come up, you know, once every two years, you're having to deal with something like that more than compensates for the fact that you're getting great rate of return on your investment. But when I'm talking to somebody who you can tell, they just don't have the aptitude for it. And they really should be in something more passive. They're just super analytical and they're real control freaks and they just have a hard time letting go. And like, I've always managed my own properties myself, or I built my own car. It's in my garage. I I don't trust the car makers. (laughs) Probably not the best candidate for somebody that's going to own a property halfway across the country and dealing with all the issues that come up. And, you know, luckily here at Real Wealth Network, we have other options for them and we kind of tell them about the other options and, and stop talking about properties. But you can just tell when you're talking to some of these folks. Yeah. And it, you know, at real estate, especially if you own a portfolio, you've got to understand it's a business. And in business, you have to expect certain expenses. They're just, yeah. they need to be calculated in. You can't run a pro forma and think that you're never going to have repairs or vacancies. You know, that needs to be calculated. And you need to have at least $5,000 set aside per property, just so you're not shocked or upset or depressed when, you know, something happens and you have to update your HVAC or whatever. Right. That is the key, is treating it like a business. I mean, at Real Wealth Network, I think you know we've had some really frivolous lawsuits, like uh, somebody sued us for not having the right audio equipment at one of our free events, and he complained that he right. couldn't hear, and it, you know he could hear, but uh, we found out he had hired this, there was an attorney running around trying to make money from people putting on events, you know, and that was dropped. But you know, we have to, as a company, look at, oh, okay. That's just an expense we have to deal with. It's part of doing business. There's crazy people out there who sue you for no reason. And it's the same with real estate. The difference is that with your property, you can hold that in an LLC and that really helps protect you and makes it a lot more difficult for people to sue you. And in fact, I really haven't even heard of any. After all these years, I I haven't heard of a single one of our members getting sued No. Yeah. I haven't heard about that either. And and, and, you know, the first line of defense is just buy an umbrella policy, you know, insure, insure, insure. It doesn't cost very much money and it, it's just your first line of defense and then your LLC is your second line of defense. But I, I haven't heard about that either, but that's the whole point. It's a business, people. It's not an autopilot thing where you can set it and forget it. You can't set it and forget it. You have to stay on top of it. But when you look at all the benefits, the benefits far outweigh the downsides. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if you can acquire a million dollar portfolio with or $700,000 of borrowed money, 
and have the tenants pay that off for you, that entire mm-hmm. debt, they pay off $700,000 and you own the million dollar portfolio at the end. You know, you, you can deal with a few ups and downs, you know, just got to deal with it. Yeah, you can deal with the few hiccups that come along the way. And the other thing I, I always like to point out to people, and this is just my personal opinion, because some folks come from the school of, you know, equity tied up in a house is just kind of, it's painful for them. They want to mine the equity all the time. And that, that's fine. I come from the school of, I'd rather pay the houses off, set my number, figure out how many houses I want to have and work backwards doing the math, decide, say I want to have 15 properties. Then once, stick with that. And once you close on house number 15, flip that hypothetical switch on the wall from acquisition mode to payoff mode. The light switch has two positions. You flip it to payoff mode and then you just dutifully use the positive cash flow to pay down all those 15. It might take eight years, it might take 14 years, but you pay it off and now all those little boxes, those 15 boxes in two or three markets around the country, they're actually paying you real money. I mean, real mailbox money that you can then live off of. But until you get to that point, you can't really see them as piggy banks. They're more just you're planting seeds for the future. And that's the other thing that I always make sure people understand, or at least from my perspective, I don't think houses really pay all that much until such time as they're paid off. Um, I mean, they do, and you're using that money to pay down the loan, but they really pay off once they're once they are paid off and there's, they're not encumbered by any debt. Absolutely. All right, Ben. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And I, I feel like I could have you on for another segment. I think I will because there's so much more to talk about. Okay, absolutely. But you'll be hosting our upcoming live event in May mm-hmm. where we have seven different markets featured there. Be sure to sign up for that. It's filling up quickly in San Mateo on May 4th. Ben will be there as the MC, and then on May 5th in LA, where I will be. All right. Well, thanks again, Ben. Anytime, Kathy. I enjoyed it. Love coming on, and thanks so much. And thank you for joining me here on The Real Well Show. If you would like to speak with one of our investment counselors, you can do so by going to realwellshow.com, joining the network, and then you'll be able to have a free strategy session with one of our investment counselors. I'm Kathy Fedke, and thanks so much for joining me here on The Real Well Show. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.